Hello and welcome to episode number 28 of Play Me Tape, a show where we delve song by song into the music that means something. I'm joined by my good friend Darren. Dying it, Bobby. <laughs> and my name is Jake. I feel like that greeting was in reference to the music of this episode in some way. Yeah, you might not be wrong there. Boy, you're sounding sexy this morning. That's what all the ladies tell me. <laughs> no, your audio sounds amazing. Maybe we should tell the good listeners why that is. We've both gone through some upgrades in our equipment to improve the sound quality and make the end user experience better for you, the listener. Excellent. Yeah, you definitely sound better. I think I sound better. Hopefully this goes a long way. We spoke at length about how the technical troubles that we ran into trying to upgrade our <laughs> our equipment has caused us to maybe not be as prepared as we normally have been with research and so forth. So <laughs> nah. nah, we're flying by the seat of our pants and we're loving it. It's all good. So I had something I wanted to talk about. I have a list in front of me. It goes along with today's episode. But I wanted to speak about what could be considered Southern rock. I'm with you. And I want to start by saying, for most of my life, if somebody ever mentioned country music, if somebody happened to play something on their device with country music, it was a bit dicey for a while. I may have screamed and yelled a little bit. I, I may have said, if you play that, I'll kill you. I had a hatred on for country music for a really, really long time. And to anybody that I offended with that over the years, I'm sorry. I, I think, unfortunately, it was par for the course. It fell out of fashion and it fell out of fashion hard. It was in fashion in the 70s and into the early 80s. If you remember the, the cowboy thing and the Southern culture thing came back in hard and you got stuff like Smokey and the Bandit waving the flag for Southern culture. And then you also got things like John Travolta's Urban Cowboy, which was huge, which was a huge hit in its time. And it was a pretty big deal. And it really, really went hard into country music and, and cowboy culture. I think on my end, I was in denial for most of my life. And I say that because I loved Smokey and the Bandit. And yeah. my, one of my favorite shows of all time was the Dukes of Hazzard. Of course. And... I love the beginning music, which is was Waylon. played by Waylon Jennings. So I think for a lot of years, it was just, I just kind of made it my thing to hate on country music. Even though growing up, I had been listening to old country and liking it. Well, there was so much mainstream crossover of country music in that, in that era. Dolly was a huge breakthrough star. Yeah. Kenny Rogers was a huge breakthrough star. He was beloved on both sides, on the countryside and on the pop side. I mean, he, he had pop hits. So did Dolly. Yeah, they both did. There was a lot of pop hits. Yeah. Came out of country. And then Hee Haw, which was a staple in our house. Right. Which is funny because my father being from the Netherlands, you know, what's the appeal of Hee Haw? Yeah, it doesn't get farther removed. Yeah. A European watching Hee Haw seems like the a really weird crossover. But it was funny. And I and I liked it. And I, I listened to the music. And I think Well, I you can tell just based on your discussion on this podcast, we know that you're into cornpone humor. Sorry, what? <laughs> you know, countrified <laughs> corn pone humor that comes through in spades. Yeah. And then even later on, I, I may have even had a conversation where I said, oh, I hate country. Hey, do me a favor and put the Skinner on over there. Right. When I really started 
to look at myself, I realized that I'd been living a lie for many, many years in saying how much I hated country. It even got to the point, you know, when Kim and I got married and you were the the MC right. at my wedding and you even said it in your speech that Kim liked both kinds of music, country and Western. Right. It was a bit of a joke because I was so against it. I almost got to a point where I think I was just doing it for the sake of doing it, saying that I hated country. And even going into, it was probably around 2015, 2015, 2016, where my daughter started playing high-level volleyball and I was the one driving her around and she's putting country songs on. Originally, I was like, no, turn it off. This sucks. And eventually she sort of broke me down and said, no, I'm, I'm going to play this stuff. If we're going to be in the car for an hour or two hours going somewhere, I want to listen to my music. Okay. Can I, can I ask a sidebar question? Sure. How did she discover it? How does someone, so, you know, living in a large city that's seen as a sleeper community, even though it's a large city of its own, it's seen as a sleeper community of the larger city, which is Toronto. How did she come into contact with it? How did she stumble across it? I think in so many ways, the way we all discover music is through friends and just having somebody that is into that type of music playing it for you and you starting to like it. Right. I would say that that happened with you and I with alternative music and shoegaze music. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then later on with classic rock, went the other way. Right. It went the other way. And now we're getting into stuff like jazz. Yeah. And also, you know, I've opened my eyes to country in the last few years for the first time in my life, really, or so I thought when I went back and I started to realize, and as I look down this list I have in front of me of top, what would be considered, you know, Southern rock or some would even call it Southern fried rock. Beauty. Get bands like Leonard Skinnerd and the Allman Brothers Band, Charlie Daniels, Marshall Tucker, Molly Hatchet, Little Feet. These are all bands that I listen to. Now, the one that came up here, and maybe you know more about this than I do, but the band 38 Special. Oh, yeah. I remember 38 Special. Are they considered a, a country band? Because they're on this list more than once. Wow. Yeah, I suppose. There's a song called Hold On Loosely, which I love. It's an amazing song. But I never in a million years considered it to be a, a country song. Country inflected in any way. Yeah. And then one of the bands that I really liked when I was younger was the Black Crows. You know, that's a Southern rock. Sure is, yeah. And almost getting into talking about the Tragically Hip, their first album and and even their second album was kind of South-influenced, I think, in a lot of ways. Maybe more more blues-influenced than country, but I can see it, yeah. But there was a little bit of country to it. Mm -hmm. And then even much, much later on in, I want to say it was 2014 or so, you had Avicii coming out with the song Wake Me Up. The artist was Aloe Black, and it was a very country-sounding song that had kind of been converted into a dance song, and I loved that song. And then... What about Cotton Eye Joe? <laughs> I will say, I get up and dance when I hear it. Yeah, and that's exactly what that was, but, yeah. you know, 15 years earlier, or 20 years earlier. And there's another one that's come out fairly recently. I, it, the name escapes me, but the other song that I, that I really loved was Pitbull and Kesha doing the song Timber. Oh, yeah. Which was also kind of a country-influenced song. Really? Would you say that has a country influence to it? I'll have oh, to yeah. listen to that again. Really? Go back and listen to it. It's, okay, yeah. It's, I, never, I, I never really thought about it in that context. It's really funny that you say that. I'm trying to run it back in my head. That's really interesting. I'll have to give it another listen. 
even going back to, well, the band that we're going to talk about today, which is Florida Georgia Line, they came out with a song in 2012 called Cruise, and they collaborated with Nelly, and the song was huge. And there's also been some crossover with them, with other artists. B.B. Rexa, they did a song called Meant to Be. And all these songs I like. So I think I've been in denial for most of my life that, oh, I hate country. It sucks. <laughs> and it's so not fair. And it's so, you know, we so talk about being dismissive of music. So not fair. And the other thing is I, I look at that music and I look at myself and go, yeah, it kind of fits. There's a lot of talk about cars racing Mm -hmm. yeah partying barbecues right Right. my daughter i don't even remember the name of the artist but she just played a song for me recently that that was released and it's about fixing up an old ford bronco okay i mean talk about right up my alley yeah speaking directly to you oh my god it's like i wrote the song well the funny thing is i mean i think there's a bit of a stereotype of new country being generally about your jeans, your dog, and your pickup truck, however <laughs> however that works out. But if you look at the history of the genre, if you look back at classic country, if you look back at outlaw country, it's not that different from the blues in terms of what it was and what they were singing about. There was that Kids in the Hall sketch that, that we used to reference all the time. I don't even remember. Bruce McCullough gets dumped by the girl and his line immediately afterwards is, country music, I understand it now. <laughs> And the idea was that country music was very much like the blues in the sense that it was speaking to and about hardship and breakup and loss. And it was, it lived in that area. And and modern country is more upbeat, much more poppy, much more positive. The band we're going to talk about, Florida Georgia Line, the tag is bro country. Nice. And so that's considered country music that has been influenced by rock and hip hop. And it talks about, you know, driving your pickup truck and drinking whiskey and sexual attraction. And when I read that and I I see that tag applied to these guys, I feel that it's not complimentary. Right. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's a negative connotation. Where does Skid Rock fall into all this? Ah, good question. There's another guy that I like Kid Rock. And, and the funny thing is he did not grow up in the South and he did not grow no, up he's from poor Detroit. <laughs> and, and grew up wealthy. Yeah. Not that that has any real bearing on what kind of music he creates, but this American badass skid character that he puts on, I mean, it might be very close to his actual personality, but it's not where it came from. It's not, it's not necessarily the background that he actually grew up with. And I don't know that I ever questioned it. It's not like I listened to him and said, "Oh, this idiot's from Detroit." Yeah, no, no, I, I, I don't mean to, I don't mean to knock his whole thing. I like it. He, he certainly doesn't make you question it at any point during the music itself. Yeah, I think about southern bands and stuff, and the one that comes up for me a lot that I listen to a lot and is in my rotation regularly is Leonard Skinner. Yep. I don't know even where to place them. Are they a country band is it just considered southern rock i don't know i don't know where they fit for me because they're extremely talented they write amazing songs i mean sweet home alabama is the one that everybody knows and that's a way more interesting song than i ever thought it was do you remember that was a song that we heard over and over again there was a jukebox in the cafeteria of our high school right 
And that was one of the songs in it. So that went into rotation. So we heard it and we heard it real loud and I heard it over and over again. I didn't much like it in high school. I like it now and I like it more knowing the story behind that song, which is really interesting. I don't know if that's going to be the topic for a future show, but that's another one of the songs we've talked about sort of as a... (laughs) The response to Neil Young's Southern Man. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We've talked about maybe doing a, a show where we look at songs where you're learning the meanings of the song, what, how it changes your experience and appreciation for the song. And that's definitely one, it, understanding what it was about and the context and just why it was written really changed my appreciation for that song for the better. Yeah, me too. When I heard the story, because I'd never paid any attention either, but when I heard the story about it and the fact that they referenced Neil Young in the song. Directly in the song, yeah. Yeah, incredible. It's an early diss track. Yeah. Yeah, it really is. The response. Yeah. Uh, it's one of the few diss tracks that I'm aware of that I've ever heard of. <laughs> where when they went back to the person, when interviewers went back to the person about whom the diss track dissed, he said, well, maybe they're right. Maybe I was wrong. Yeah, he did. He actually said. He acknowledged it. He said, yeah, I probably overstepped my boundaries a little bit. Yeah, it's kind of neat. It's a really great story surrounding that song. And then the other Skinner song that I really love is Free Bird. And I love when, <laughs> you know, there's a concert setting and somebody just shouts out Free Bird. <laughs> in fact, somebody did it in the Nirvana Unplugged session, yeah. which is amazing. We talked about that in that episode, yeah. And <laughs> I never heard that. And I kind of didn't believe it. I thought you were making it up. <laughs> no, it's the real deal. And Kurt Cobain actually acknowledges it. It's amazing use of it in the movie Cars. The first Disney Pixar movie, Cars. There's like a, you know, a moment in, in a scene where everything goes silent and just in the background you hear, Freebird. <laughs> it's a kid's movie, right? They don't understand, but that's the kind of stuff. That's the kind of uh, Easter eggs they put in there for the adults. Sure. That just were fantastic. And then the other Skinner song is, is one that I'll probably bring up again, but Simple Man. And I don't know if you know that song, but yeah, yeah. it is amazing. This is the type of stuff that I've listened to and been listening to for a long, long time in my complete denial of liking country music. These are country songs. Absolutely, yeah. I don't know how you could see a song titled Sweet Home Alabama yeah. as anything else. <laughs> Not call it a country song. Yeah. And sit there and go, I hate country, but I, I really like Leonard Skinner and I, I really like Almond Brothers. And like Ramblin' Man's an amazing song by the Almond Brothers. For sure, yeah. It was really a funny moment for me when I kind of looked at myself and said, oh, you big dummy, what are you doing? You've been in denial your whole life about this stuff. But I guess it's okay. It's like you discovering jazz. It's an entire new genre of music. And like you've talked about- It's a playground you can now go run around in. Right. And not feel bad about. Because I think, you know, when you're younger, you're a little bit more sensitive to people picking up on things and noticing things and pointing things out that you've said. And kind of staying away from stuff because of it. You yeah, said you we, didn't like that. Okay, you're right. We talked about it in a recent episode that pop culture poisoned the well for disco. And then in the mid or the late 90s, just happening upon a Buffalo radio station that had devoted itself at that time to disco and funk of the 70s. And finally getting to listen to it instead of just the dismissive, disco became a sitcom punchline. And it yeah. stayed a sitcom punchline for 15 years or 20 years when did disco officially die in 1979 1980 yeah you know through the mid 90s it was still 
this horrible punchline that it it was just the the forbidden music. <laughs> I think country was the same. I think country has fallen in and out of fashion. I know disco essentially disappeared and never really came back again. Yeah. But I think country in a lot of ways. Although there are certain artists who always transcended that. Johnny Cash. Absolutely. 100% was, I think, always cool and will always be cool. I don't know why. I mean, it's great music at the core of it all, but I don't know why he escaped that. I don't know either. It might be sort of the legacy that he built up outside the music itself. I remember Johnny Cash was something that our former roommate Paul introduced me to. And he had talked about the fact that he used to hang out with some guys somewhere and the jukebox there had Live from San Quentin or Live from Folsom Prison on it, tracks from it, one or the other. And that they would plunk in, you know, a whole bunch of change and play through the entire album, whatever, whichever one it was. It was one of those two. And I was like, really, Johnny Cash? And around the same time, my dad came home with a Johnny Cash Greatest Hits CD. And I just had never really listened to or given a lot of time to Johnny Cash. He was, he was someone that we saw from Canada Trust Bank commercials. <laughs> Remember that? The Johnny Cash money machine? And so that was really my only experience with the man. And then hearing his music and hearing his greatest hits and then hearing San Quentin and Folsom Prison really opened my eyes. Th those two live albums are incredible. Have you seen the movie, Walk the Line? Yeah, I saw it when it was released. Fabulous movie. And I think really the, the one that, the reason why I even went further into listening to Johnny Cash was that movie. Once you kind of knew the story behind him, it was a lot more interesting to go and listen to the music. He lived a life. Yeah, he sure did. He's one of those guys, and this seems to happen a fair bit, that you have these people that you assume they're playing a specific kind of music. And to me, country music and religion always tie in together. And for whatever reason, religion and clean living always seem to go hand in hand for me. I just assume if somebody is part of that then they're not getting into any trouble and i've always sort of equated country music with, with religious beliefs hmm. and so these guys don't get into any trouble they don't do drugs they don't do anything crazy and well, so so not the case yeah. <laughs> they get into all kinds of trouble it's a connection that i made that makes no sense and i don't know where it came out of i just always assumed that religion equaled good when i was younger boy was i naive Right. That may be another reason why country music repelled me for a long time was the, the religious the overtones, the, the Christian yeah. overtones. Yeah. But I don't care anymore. Good music's good music at the end of the day. Absolutely. And if I hear something that I like, I don't want to just say I don't like it because of the genre. I want to say I don't like it because it sucks, or I want to say I like it because it's great. It's far more fun doing that and discovering yeah. music that way. You're here. Should we actually discover the song that we're here to listen to? Sure. Now, setting this up, I had never heard the song. This was the first time I had heard it. I know my sister's going to be very angry because my sister <laughs> quite likes this band, from what I understand. So I was happy to listen and dig into this song a little bit. Cool. Well, let's give it a listen. Hey, Jake. Yes, Darren? Play me tape. May we all get to grow up in a red, white, 
white and blue little town Get a one star hand me down for to try to fix up With some part time cash and driving a tractor Found a sweet little thing where's your ball cap backwards Kind of place you can't wait to leave but nobody does Cause you miss it too much May we all know that nothing ain't cool till you wear a new off the sound of a quarter rolling down the jukebox. Play the Travis Tread right above the Tupac. Or you get lost down some road. Slow rolling with the top off the back of a Bronco. Buy a cold sixer with a cast in lotto. Smiling with her hair blowing out the window. Where you about to go? Yeah, you learn to fly. And if you can't, then you just free fall. Watch a marching band play with the harvest moon coming up And know that 15 minutes of famous ain't gonna be what makes us or breaks us But we'll all be watching the TV the day that it comes May we all know that nothing ain't cool till you wear the new arm The sound of a quarter rolling down the jukebox Play the Travis Tread right above the Tupac Before you get lost down some road Slow rolling with the top off the back of a Bronco Buy a cold sixer with a cash in lotto She's smiling with her hair blowing out the window Where are you about to go? Yeah, you learn to fly If you can't, then you just free fall That was May We All by Florida Georgia Line featuring Tim McGraw. And as I said before, had not heard this song previous to last night. I'm going to give a caveat right off the top. I only listened to this once and I don't think I absorbed any of it. <laughs> and I say that because I blame you, frankly. You had said that 
it has a really compelling video. And I said, okay. And you said, it's sort of about racing. And I thought, oh, Jesus, here we go. <laughs> oh, another racing song. And so what I did was I watched it. I listened and watched the video together. Okay. And just this week, or maybe the previous week, can, sorry, can you just explain what's the type of racing featured in the video? What do you, what do you call that racing? Stock car racing. Stock car on a dirt track. On a short dirt track. So this okay. is a really, really common form of racing in the southern U.S. In the south, yeah. yeah. Okay. It's so, literally NASCAR at its purest form. Okay. So the video is made like a mini movie, and it is beautifully put together. It's so beautifully put together that it was distracting from the song, <laughs> which seemed fine. But the story that the video told was... Uh, so overwhelmingly fascinating to me that I really, I, I heard the song, I got the song, but the takeaway for me was what an incredible video this was. And just earlier this week or possibly the week prior, I just discovered and was reading about the F1 1973 car crash of Roger Williamson. Okay. It was a real wake up call to F1 in 1973. Apparently Williamson's car flipped and he was trapped upside down in very much the same way. Spoilers. <laughs> things, things play out in the video. And another driver had come to his aid. There were marshals on the track, but the marshals basically had zero gear. They didn't have any of the overalls, the fire retardant coveralls or overalls that you would need to help in that kind of a situation. They couldn't approach the car. They couldn't get near the car to either turn it or lift it or flip it. Uh, there were no extinguishers on hand. So there were three fire marshals standing around watching and not knowing what to do. Another driver had pulled over to help who similarly was unable to do anything. Yeah. So he was trying to flag other drivers down. No other driver stopped. The race continued. This happened easily within sight of a set of stands. So people watched this guy asphyxiate underneath the car, the burning car. They watched it happen in real time. And the race continued and finished as a race would. A death happened on the track and, and nothing, more or less, nothing was done. So it was this huge black eye to F1. It was a huge controversy in 1973. I knew nothing, nothing about it. And I happened to stumble onto this just within a week of listening to the song and watching this video. So the video was just a gut punch. Having said that, yeah, I like the song. Would I like the song as much if it hadn't been for the video? Probably not. But what do you want to do? I mean, that's how Thriller got into my head. So I'm not going to be right. too upset about it. Do I like it? Yeah. A little outside what I would normally listen to, obviously. I had never really heard any Florida Georgia line. I don't really know Tim McGraw, but I liked it. I liked what I heard. And oh man, was I impressed with that video. I have to echo that. The video is amazing. And as somebody who loves auto racing and grew up going and watching short track, um, oval stock car racing as a kid. I love that stuff. And so it immediately pulled me in. And then the whole story, I, it's a pretty emotional thing. <laughs> yeah. Can I ask another sidebar question? Sure. In the video, are those actors or is that the band in those roles? Any oh, idea? It's, the, it's the two guys from the band. Okay. All right. And the car owner is Tim McGraw. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Don't even know them to see them. Wasn't even sure if those were actors or if those were band members. And I'm the same. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have really known either. But 
it's the two of them. And it's actually the first video that they ever made where they didn't actually sing in the video. There's dialogue in the video. Yep. You get crash sounds and that comes through right over top of the music. Yeah. Is it great marketing for the song? I don't know because they cover up a lot of the song. <laughs> yeah. But I'll tell you how compelling that was. I'm, I'm interested in hearing more. I want to say up front, I don't know a lot about these bands, these country music bands. It was actually a surprise to me that Tim McGraw was actually part of the song. In the single, it says, May We All, featuring Tim McGraw. And I can't tell you in the song when Tim McGraw is singing. Right. I, I, I have no idea. This was just something that I heard. And I hadn't seen the video when I first heard the song. But I, I loved the song the first on, on first listen. So much so that you know I'd get in the car again with my daughter and say, Can you play that country song that you played before? And my daughter's like, what? You, you want to hear a country? Like, she's giving me the gears <laughs> about this. I'm like, I, you know, it, it's okay. It's okay. I, I, you know, I don't love it or anything. It's, it's, it's all <laughs> you gotta, right. You got to downplay it. Yeah, totally. And meanwhile, I'm like, can you put that on for me? <laughs> and then I found myself putting it on for myself on Spotify and listening to it. And then I just so happened to sit down and listen to it again, but at the computer where I could actually watch the video on YouTube. And I was blown away. There's a line in the song at the end where they talk about riding the fast ones. And so that didn't make a lot of sense to me until I saw the video. And then you realize that it's about stock car racing and I'm immediately in love. <laughs> and I even have to go so far as to say that, so my nephew, Dylan, and my brother, they both watch NASCAR with regularity. <laughs> and I used to watch NASCAR. I watched NASCAR for years and years. I love old school NASCAR, early, mid 80s. I was a big Richard Petty fan. And I, I think you know who that is. Yeah, you've talked about Richard many, many times. Yeah, I even went to the to his hometown. And I drove by his house. And I went to his museum. And unfortunately, it was closed. Even non race fans, I think, generally know Richard. I knew Richard Petty before you brought up Richard Petty, because he was yeah. sort of a legend. So I was a big fan for a long time and, and I ended up watching all through the 90s and, you know, watching guys like Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt, who are household names in the NASCAR community. And then Dale Earnhardt died in a crash. I think it was 2001. Who was number three? At Daytona. That was Dale Earnhardt. Okay. Because you st you, if, if you're driving around in the South, if you're in Florida, you'll still yes. see people with a three on their car. Florida? Still. Yeah. Dude, you see it around here. Seriously? Oh, I see all the time. In fact, my, my next door neighbor's brother-in-law comes by in his done up Chevy truck and his license plate is Intimidator, which was Dale Earnhardt's nickname. And he's got on the back window in loving memory, number three. Wow. This guy made an impact on people. If you were a NASCAR fan, there was two camps. There was Jeff Gordon and there was Dale Earnhardt. And if you liked Earnhardt, you hated Gordon. And if you liked Gordon, you hated Earnhardt. And it was a really, really fun time in racing. And NASCAR was getting huge. And unfortunately, things kind of went awry and the formula changed a little bit. And it became like WWE wrestling on wheels. Personalities develop. It became about showboating. and Yeah, uh, what appeared to be fights and things like that. Speaking to the crowd directly. And... So they got away from the racing itself. And unfortunately, with that, the fans started to disappear. They also got a bit greedy. They started charging exorbitant amounts for tickets. And people just kind of went, I, I think we're done with this. 
And so they've had to, NASCAR's had to work really, really hard to get the fans back. And I'm one of them. And that has to be a, a huge hit because NASCAR saw just enormous crowds, didn't it? I mean, that's not huge. something that 15,000 people show up for. That's no. something that... 100,000 people. Yeah. Packing racetracks. And the crappy part was, you know, for me, it developed a nickname, which was Crash Car. Right. In that it just, if a driver wanted to win on the last lap, he would just smash into the guy and, and knock him out and win the race with no consequence. Yikes. So I didn't, I didn't appreciate that type of racing, but they've started to clean up their act. And I'm somebody that started to watch a few races this past year and really enjoyed them. You've got guys who are skilled drivers now. And, and that's another thing with, it's almost like country music in that, are these guys real music talents? You know, they sing country. Pfft. <laughs> and I think with NASCAR, they get a bad rap as well. That are these guys really, you know, yeah, F1 caliber well, guys? I remember in high school, people joking that NASCAR was drive to the end of the straightaway and turn left. Turn left, yeah. And and at, at its essence, that's true. But if you've ever driven on the 401 or a major highway in traffic and you, everybody's doing 125 kilometers an hour, imagine doing that at 200 miles an hour and being one inch off the guy in front of you. Yeah. These guys are tremendously skilled. And as much as I gave country music a hard time for years and years saying that these guys aren't real artists, kind of did the same thing with NASCAR drivers for a long time, but completely unwarranted. This song, because of that video, it ties together so well with stock car racing and with NASCAR. And I think NASCAR is a big part of the bro country scene. Right. You know, you've got these songs. Or the image that, of it, yeah. Yeah, that are kind of you know, a little bit rocking. You're not a fan of Talladega Nights, the movie. You're not a fan of stuff that kind of lampoons that culture. That movie was horrible to me. Because NASCAR and the Southern fans become the punchline. Right. And it's so not fair. They, they talk about, you know, redneck culture. And you'll even hear guys like Jeff Foxworthy sort of make fun of NASCAR. And he's even said he, he was doing NASCAR bits 20 years ago. But even he said, boy, this is, this can be dangerous ground at my shows. I start making fun of NASCAR. It can go one of two ways. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I kind of get that because it's everybody else just being dismissive. Oh, this isn't for real. This is stupid. This is a bunch of dopey rednecks that are into this. Yeah, sure. There's, there's meatheads in everything, but I think it's unfair. I think it's a legitimate form of motorsport. And the tie in there is that Country music is a legitimate form of music. And you have no idea how difficult that is for me to say <laughs> after years and years and years of saying it was a bunch of crap. It's my own fault. I think I kind of missed out. There's a big and rich song that is a, a common thing, even in, in clubs in that, called Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's a great song. It's like a t-shirt or a, a bumper sticker slogan if people still use bumper stickers. Yeah. But it's one of those things, oh, stupid country, and here I am up dancing to it, laughing my ass off, having a great time. Did you ever go to Nashville North? Yes, I did. I did go to Nashville North. Probably put on the face of, I'm not doing that. I'm not going there. This is stupid, blah, blah, blah. But I enjoyed myself. Nashville North was a country bar in the town where we lived, the north end of town, up near sort of where where the town transitioned into farm country 
and it was yeah it was just a it was just a country music bar that was up there and was well known to us i went to it a couple of times and was surprised at how much fun it was uh did you know that nashville north has been used in movies really i didn't yeah. know that cool yeah there's a movie called the recruit that starred um al pacino and colin farrell my sister would kill me for not knowing who that is <laughs> It's a CIA movie. He's trying to get into the CIA, I think. I don't remember. It's been so long. It's a typical spy and subterfuge type premise movie. And part of it takes place. They go on a real world operation as trainees. And the place they go is this cowboy bar. And it is Nashville North. No kidding. In Brampton, Ontario, Canada. That's very cool. Yeah. It's actually it's actually in Norval, Ontario. Oh, excuse me. Canada. You're right. Norval. <laughs> my bad. Yeah, no disrespect yeah, yeah. to Nashville North if it is still there. It is still there as a building. I don't know when the last time they actually had anything going on there. Fun fact. So we went to high school with the fella who is now a country music star. Yeah, that's right. His name is Johnny Reed. And the first time I ever saw Johnny Reed performing outside of our high school was at the building that became Nashville North, it used to be called Club 2000. Oh, geez. Do you remember that? Yeah, absolutely. I was never there when it was called that, but yeah, sure. I remember people talking about Club 2000. And Johnny Reed was playing with his band at the time, and they were a cover band, and they were doing Nirvana cover songs. <laughs> and I think, I don't know, I, I lost touch with Johnny not long after high school. But I think he realized that, you know, he wanted to make a go at being a professional musician and this was maybe his best shot. So he moved to Nashville and he was grinding for living many, the dream. many, many years trying to living live the dream. the dream. And he finally broke through and it was amazing to watch. And I still with this theme of me hating country, I always justified it. Oh, well, he's a guy I know. Yeah, he's my friend. So... Yeah. And and by the way, he's he's not really country. I mean, the guy's from Scotland. He's he's not really country, but he is country. Although I went to see him last year at Casino Rama. My wife took me for my birthday and it was for his Christmas show. And he's very much become like a crooner, like a Michael Buble. Yeah. Yeah. And my wife and I might have been the youngest people in the crowd. Really? Yeah. It was definitely an older crowd. But you know what? He put on an amazing show. I enjoyed the heck out of it. Oh, no doubt. And I wish him all the success. I've, I have been following him forever and ever, and he's really good. He's got a really, really great voice, very soulful voice. He's very passionate, and it comes through in his music. He's a great singer. He's a great artist. Even in high school, he was a great singer. You knew that already. I mean, even then we could see it. Yeah, it wasn't a case of if he was going to become successful. It was just a matter of when to so many of us. Another country moment in my life <laughs> that I've been in total denial about uh, and, and you know, been able to justify and say, oh yeah, he's a buddy of mine. So I, it's okay that I listen to that and enjoy it. This really, this episode has, has been about me admitting that I, I was wrong for the last, oh, I don't know, 30 years <laughs> about a genre of music. But it's also very freeing. Like you said, I get to go play in a whole new, whole new sandbox. And that's really fun. And if it took a band like Florida Georgia Line and their bro country to sort of get me into it a little bit more, then so be it. You know, I don't know if he recognized in the song, but they mentioned talking about playing the Travis Tritt above the Tupac. Right. I didn't notice that line, no. But yeah, okay. It's a great line. Yeah. 
it's a cool line that links a different genre of music with their music. Yeah. So I think even that I was able to justify. Oh, see, these guys, these guys like hip hop and stuff. So, so they're cool. Meanwhile, they talk like this. Yeah. There's no need to justify it. You like what you like. No, I, I feel the need to justify. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I still feel like I need to prove myself that it's okay to like country music. I have to keep telling myself, it's okay, man. You'll be all right. It's all right to like this stuff. And it's all right to be excited that the Daytona 500 is coming up in February. It's okay to like NASCAR. It's okay to like country. Don't make fun of me, please. I beat on you for years about you hating the Tragically Hip. Which I never did, by the way. And I still do. Yeah. (laughs) But it's kind of a running gag. Yeah. And maybe that's where the whole country thing had gone. It had gotten to the point where it was just sort of a running gag. It became part of your personality just by virtue of the fact that it was this long-standing, repetitious joke. A country song would come on and my wife would look over at me like, oh, God. Is he, is he going to put his fist through the radio? But never happened. And that's the other funny thing is when I met my wife, she was into country. She's really not anymore. Right. She doesn't really listen to it anymore. It's not yeah. like she's putting on the country station. It's my daughter. Maybe that's also part of, of where it came from is she kind of grew up with it early on. With yeah. My wife I mean, listening to it. we always hear about how the music you listen to in your teens becomes the music you listen to more or less the rest of your life. And it's anecdotal, of course, but there are so many examples that we, you and I can point to that fly in the face of that. Sure, I like music from the 60s and the 70s and the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. And that's my lifespan. So that's perfectly fair. But a lot of the music that I'm listening to now, I'm coming to now, and I didn't know it or I didn't appreciate it when I was hearing it in high school. Jazz I never listened to. And that's something that's brand new. Country, outside of the the time frame when it was crossover, I never listened to, ever, at any point in my life. And that's something else that I've come to a little bit. Not as much as jazz, but a little bit. I've dipped my toe in that pool. And I don't know. I mean, I guess you can sort of stay in your lane and listen to the same X number of albums over and over, ad infinitum, until you're too old to hear it, I guess. I don't know. But I really love variety and I really love finding new stuff. And I don't know, I, I get a kick out of finding stuff that I hadn't heard before that that wows me. I love that. The other part of it is, and I think we've talked about this before too, is feeding off of somebody else's passion for something. Yes. And when my daughter brings this music to me and plays it for me, because we have a bit of a thing that after dinner when we're doing dishes and cleaning up the kitchen, somebody will pick a song and say, hey, I'm going to put this on the the Google Home and everybody's going to listen to it and kind of talk about it. And my daughter will so often play country songs and she loves them. And it's fun to see how much joy they bring her. And it also is a reason why I think, how bad can this be? Yeah. What's the inner family tension between your daughter, who's a fan of country, and your son, who's more in the hip hop rap lane? Yeah. Is there, do arm wrestles break out? Like what happens oh, there? Oh, yeah. They, you know, my son will kind of try and take over and, and stop the song, the country <laughs> song and put his stuff on. But I think he's learning too, that you can't necessarily dismiss this stuff for years and years. I mean, my kids grew up listening to Rush and as much as my son loves rap and hip hop and stuff like that, if a Rush song comes on, Hey, he'll, I like this song. He'll, he'll say listen, it. Yeah. He'll listen. And They've started to kind of like it. And because of Guitar Hero and Rock Band, 
the amount of classic rock right. that they were exposed to yeah. that they remember. I don't know how many times my son will say, hey, I know that song. And I'm like, how do you know that song? He's like, Guitar yeah. Hero. Influence oh, right. of those games. Those games were so huge. Yeah. We were, sing- just... we were sitting around the pool this summer and he's putting on playlists and I was just expecting it to be rap and hip hop, but it wasn't. And he kept being able to name songs. Steven and... Tyler once claimed that he made more money from Rock Band or Guitar Hero, whichever they were licensed to, <laughs> wow. than he made from any album that they had ever released. Incredible. It was incredibly lucrative for them. It sold just phenomenal numbers. Doesn't surprise me. Well, good discussion today on country music. Uh, I really hope you don't make fun of me for the I rest would never. of my life. I dare you. I would never. <laughs> I brought a country song in earlier, so I I'm know. Gonna, I'm not going to be the guy to do that. I was happy that you did that first. Kind of got me off the hook. <laughs> Take the heat off you. Yeah. But... We should probably look at wrapping things up. Absolutely. Do you want to go ahead and give the email address? Sure. Uh, if anybody wants to send us a note and make fun of me for admitting that I like country music, uh, send an email to us at playmetapepodcast at gmail.com. Right. Well, thanks for joining us. If you liked what you hear, please consider following us and let everybody know. Until next time, keep listening to the music that means something. And always try and listen with an open mind. And communication.